0: wonderful crowd this morning thank you so much for being here like Clint said you could be so many other places but you chose to be here for that I'm thankful especially to see all of you here this morning Uh, just a blessing to me and blessing to the Lord I hope what has been shared with you already this morning as we have worshiped has been a blessing to you and then as uh, the Lord allows me to open the word it will be a blessing to you also If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn, we'll start in Ephesians again with the third chapter, verse 20, and we'll move from there. Uh, This is actually part two of the sermon that we started last week that was supposed to be a one-part sermon, but uh, the Lord just kind of broke it into two pieces for me uh, last Sunday. So I want to share with you the second half. If you weren't here last Sunday, let me catch you up real briefly. We are uh, sharing about unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is part of the Unleash series that we've been uh, sharing with you for the last five to six weeks. We'll finish up next week. I'm very excited to finish up next Sunday on Mother's Day as we will preach to you and share with you about uh, your ability to unleash the power to change generations. Uh, I'm excited uh, that the Lord has already laid that on my heart, what I want to share with you next Sunday about how we as moms, especially, but as moms and dads, have the power to uh, change generations that uh, the Lord gives us that promise in His Word. Uh, I'm living proof of a changed generation, and I'll share a little bit of that with you next uh, Sunday. And Many of you will be able to share the same testimony about how you have been the change or you can become the change to change generations, and so... look forward to sharing that with you next Sunday. Uh, This Sunday, I want to finish up on how the Lord allows us to have the power of the Holy Spirit, how He has unleashed that power. We've talked about how He unleashed power in us personally and how He unleashes power in the church. This morning, I want to share with you, finish up on how He unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Last uh, Sunday, I shared with you out of Ephesians 3.20, the, the kind of the anchor verse where it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And it's according to his power. If you leave that part out, you've missed the whole boat because what we get to ask the Lord is not only to do things for his kingdom, but we get to ask the Lord to do things for his kingdom. And he does more than we even ask or imagine. Some translations use the word ask or dream. So whatever your dreams are, the Lord is doing more than whatever your dream could be to change uh, the kingdom. Now, all that is uh, coded in the caveat that it's according to his power. It's not according to your power. Uh, That's a really hard thing for us, uh, especially, I believe, in America to grab hold of because most of us were taught with the understanding that the harder we work, Uh, the more that will be given to us. I was watching the Kentucky Derby yesterday and one of the horses that was running was named after Usain Bolt. And uh, the owner of that horse, uh, I I watched a little bit of his story. It was fascinating because he only had a high school education, uh, but his uh, grandparents and his parents told him that if he worked hard, he could do anything he wanted to do and he could accomplish anything that he wanted to accomplish. And sure enough, he he started off as a, a laborer in the shipyards in Miami. And as he worked his way as a laborer in the shipyards in, in Miami, he saved money and he began to, to, to build things. And one of the things that he began to concentrate on was building scaffolding. And he uh, put together enough money to purchase a scaffolding company that puts the scaffold up next to the Navy ships that come into port in Miami so that they can rework the ships, that they can do all kinds of maintenance on them. And over the years, as his company grew and he began to get government contracts and he began to build the scaffolding for the Navy, his company grew to such an incredible extent that he was able to sell just a portion of the company. He still owns the majority stock in the company, but he sold a portion of the company for $78 million. And he took some of that money and he bought a horse, and the horse ran in the Kentucky Derby yesterday. I think he finished third or fourth. I know he didn't finish first. But the story reminds me and helps us all to understand that we all have built within us, especially if we've been raised uh, by parents who have instilled uh, those kind of values within us to work hard, Um, you know, work as hard as we can because good things happen to those who work hard. But here's the problem when we translate that into kingdom work. When we translate that into kingdom work, We tend to think, well, if I work really hard, then God will bless me. And what Scripture teaches us here has nothing to do with that. What Scripture teaches us here is that if we pray to the God who loves us, the the one true God, the God of the universe, the God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray for kingdom things, then He'll give us more than we even dreamed or imagine, but it will all be according to His power, not our power. So we, we have to come to the conclusion, we have to come to the understanding that we're, we're going to remove ourselves from the equation. The only part of the equation that we're a part of is praying to God Almighty that He would do great things for the kingdom. So... Understanding that and understanding that, that the power of the Holy Spirit, in fact, if you turn back to Ephesians, the first chapter, we went here last week, but Ephesians, the first uh, first chapter in, in the 19th verse says, And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. So here we go again. We're talking about the power of Christ. In, in the scripture in Ephesians 1 19 says it's incomparable power it's it's not that we can even understand or, or get a grasp of uh, because it, it's a power like we have never seen before I was um, working uh, or watching the air conditioning uh, guy work uh, the other day and uh, in in an air conditioner uh There's a a piece of equipment called a capacitor. And if I understand correctly, the capacitor stores power so that when the air conditioner compressor kicks on, it releases that power because it needs more power than just what's coming through through the plug. So this capacitor is, is, is a piece of equipment that stores power so that it can exert power. And it's more power than the plug is bringing. The reason I know this is because when I was watching the guy working on the air conditioning system, he was changing out the capacitor because he said the capacitor's bad. And he said you can always tell when the capacitor is bad because it's swollen a little bit. And he said all that power over all those years kind of works on it. And it swells up a little bit and then it, it will stop working and so your air conditioner won't kick on. And as he was taking it off, I could see him being very careful removing the wires from it. And he said, you have to be careful with these capacitors because, he said, even when you remove the wire from them, if you happen to touch it and everything connects just right, he said, a lot of times they'll have that power stored up within them still. Even though they're bad, they'll have that power stored up with them. And if you touch it just right, he said, it won't kill you, but it'll knock you for a loop. And I thought, that's why I called you to change the capacitor instead of me. Now, that is the kind of power that I think is kind of being referenced here in Ephesians, the first chapter, and also Ephesians, the third chapter, when Paul's praying. Because he's talking about that power that we don't completely understand, and and we don't get. And and if we touch it, it, it will knock us for a loop. But the great thing is, is it's not for us to be knocked for a loop, but it's, it's what God promises us that he'll use that power to change his kingdom when we pray. So that's that's the incredibly good news here. Now, here's kind of the caveat that I led into last week with, that understanding and, and knowing that that power is available to you and me, the question becomes, what what do we use that power for? What is that power given Uh, To us to do, and and we know it's given to us to pray for change in the kingdom. But there's there's different things that that power, when we pray, allows us to do within the kingdom. And what I spent all last Sunday sharing with you, which was my first point, was that it's it's that kind of backwards anomaly that nobody wants us to, nobody wants to think about. Because when we when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Everybody's mind always goes to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll reference those in just a minute. But it's what I always call the showy power. Um, It's it's the gifts of the Spirit are listed in both those chapters in the New Testament. And and, and it's it's the gifts that some will even say, Well, if you don't have this power, then you may not be saved. Uh, They'll say... uh, you know, if, and, and you, you need to understand this because it's, it's not doctrinally true. But there are some who preach the gospel that says, unless you speak in tongues, you aren't saved. Because that's the proof of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And, and that is, is not doctrinally sound. There's no evidence of that within the scripture. The evidence is that it, it's one of the gifts. And you can get in a big discussion, we'll do that probably someday, about whether that's a a gift that's faded or whether that's a, a gift that's still available to us. But here's where I want us to circle and land this morning. The problem is we always want to talk about those gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and the power that the Holy Spirit gives, that's that flashy, showy power. But the Scripture references over and over again much more abundantly and much more evident that there's power available that nobody really wants to talk about because it's, it's a power that's not flashy and not showy. And the first one that I talked about last Sunday was the, the power to suffer. I mean, you, you won't walk into many Sunday morning services where uh, the minister who's presenting the gospel to you will tell you that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to suffer um, it's, it, because it, it, it doesn't come across well. It doesn't come across as something that tickles your ears and makes you want to come back to church next Sunday. In fact, most people want to kind of shy away from the f- fact that uh, being a believer in Christ means uh, that you're going to spend some time, if not a lot of time, in suffering. But it's it's the gospel, and it's the truth. And I would much rather tell you the truth and have you understand what it means to walk with Christ than to have you be confused because you choose to walk with Christ and things aren't always rosy and things aren't always wonderful and things don't always go according to plan. That's the true understanding of the gospel. You remember I shared with you last week that uh, one of the most famous Southern Baptist missionaries, the one that they named the Christmas offering, with uh, named Lottie Moon, who I will share a lot more of her story probably with you one time, but She packed all her possessions in a casket and went to China uh, to spend the rest of her life sharing the gospel uh, for the kingdom. And uh, I can promise you when you pack your things in a casket, um, you're not anticipating a a wonderful uh, life of joy and no suffering. That's, That's not what's coming your way. It's amazing to me, incredible, but it's just the way God works things. And I didn't get it for you, but I'll get it for you when I tell the the full story sometime of Lottie Moon. But just this last week, um, uh, on on one of my social media pages, in fact, some missionaries that I will reference in just a minute, uh, posted a picture of another missionary friend of theirs that that live in Africa with them, uh, a 72-year-old lady who just this past week passed away. And they showed a picture of her. And she had done exactly what Lottie Moon had done. She had packed uh, the, the missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, uh, when they are sent overseas to go uh, overseas, they're allowed so many crates that they build. In fact, the missionaries that I'll reference for you in just a few minutes are Terry and Twala Bell, and they packed crates. I helped them actually pack crates. But Terry built these crates that were probably 8x8 eight eight or 10x10 ten ten and uh, big square crates that they loaded onto cargo ships that they sent over to Africa, all their possessions, and I mean they stuffed those crates as full as you can imagine of things that were going to Africa. Now, in the, in the midst of uh, packing those crates and everything, this one lady who's uh, the missionary that I'm, I'm referencing to that they put a picture on social media, one of her crates that she chose to pack was, was a casket. And so she packed in a casket, and she just passed away this past week, and they're burying her in that casket. It's kind of a a crazy thing to think about. But that's the understanding of the Holy Spirit giving giving you and me the power to suffer. So we talked about that last week. Let me share with you two more things really briefly, because I didn't want to spend uh, the whole time rehashing what we talked about last week. But I, I want to share with you two more things that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do. Again, they're very difficult things, and they're not, although you will recognize them, there's, there's no, like, mystery in what I'm getting ready to share with you. But most of you will not consider, uh, you'll be like me, I think, in that you won't consider that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to do these things. But it, it is what he does. It's his job as uh, your comforter. As, as somebody who lives within you, who walks with you. It's what Jesus Christ promised when, when he went to be with the Father. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm, I'm going to give you a comforter. And that's what this Holy Spirit does. So what are those two things? Well, the second thing is this. He gives us the power to love and to forgive. The power to love and to forgive. Again, something that, that you understand I I get that you recognize the words loving and forgiving, that that's not a a big shock to you. But let me kind of um, expand and help you to understand a a little bit why I think this doesn't always sit well with people. You see, loving and forgiving, forgiving to the world, especially the world that we live in, are really signs of weakness when you think about it. Uh, that, that's how uh, the, the world looks at loving and forgiving, and it's especially how our culture looks at loving and forgiving. It, it almost looks at it as a sign of weakness. Um, you, you think about the climate that we live in, uh, the, the human nature climate that we live in today and how it's uh, changing and been changing uh, for a long, long time. I just think it's rapidly changing now uh, compared to what it was maybe in the, in the early 1900s or even in the middle 1900s uh, when I was born. Uh, I, I don't think any of us who were born uh, would, would disagree that uh, the ability to love and forgive are, are now more than ever almost equated with a sign of weakness. But let me let me show you something in the Scripture, something that you'll be familiar with. But Matthew, if you'll turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. This will be a Scripture that you're probably pretty familiar with, but, but I, I want you to hear it. Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 43rd verse says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is the Lord, and he's telling us that if we're going to separate ourselves out from the world, if we're going to be different than the rest of the world, then we're going to have to do some things differently. And and a couple of the biggest differences that we can proclaim as believers is if we love those who do not love us, if we love our enemies, and if we forgive them. I, I I'm overwhelmed at how easy that is to say and how difficult it is to do. I, I would love to be the guy who sits in front of you, and says, "I've done this so many times. It's so simple. Everybody, why don't you just get on board?" and do what I do. But I'm telling you that I struggle to love those who don't love me. And I struggle even more to love those who hate me. You know, I I think I've told you this before, but it it wasn't until I was about 26 or 27 that I realized that there were some people that didn't like me. Not only did they not like me, they hated me. And boy, that that hit me. Hit me bad. I, I think I told you about a a lady at the church that I previously worked at that one time I was doing a fundraiser for camp, and she came to me and said, nobody's going to give a penny for your kids. Nobody cares about your kids going to camp. You're doing it all the wrong way. And boy, I tell you, I lit up and I went, I went crazy with inside myself. I, I, I was just so angry and brokenhearted. I mean, my, my feelings were hurt, too. Uh I, I went home and told Laura, you know, it's. I mean, I <laughs> I take no pleasure in saying this, but I, I went home and told Laura, I, I just assumed that lady would go dead. I mean, she was old, and I was ready for her to go to be with Jesus, and that would have been just fine. <laughs> you know, she, as far as I was concerned, she would lived long enough, and uh, we didn't need her anymore. And you know what the Lord did? Yeah. <laughs> remember, well, you, you wouldn't know this, but w- when that happened, I was 27 years old. And I thought she was old and ready to go meet the Lord, and she was probably in her late 50s. You know, that's what, <laughs> and, and, and in my mind, I thought she had lived long enough and she was ready to go meet Jesus. You know, you can you understand how my thought processes have changed now, but I I really was. And you know what the Lord did? This You can ask Laura, this is gospel truth. That lady lived to be 90-something years old. And I had to deal with her almost every Sunday. Almost every Sunday. But you know what the Lord did to me? The Lord said, you just need to change. It's not her. You're worried about her changing, and you need to change. You're the one that needs change. And so I did. I, I tried my best. L- listen, it, it wasn't easy. Um, I, I used to... Uh, avoid her in the hallway. I used to. I used to do everything I could not to have to deal with her. But then one day she passed away, and Laura said, "Are you going to go to her funeral?" And I said, "Are you kidding me? You want me to go to her funeral?" And Laura said, "I was just asking." So that day of her service, I dressed up and put my suit and tie on, and I walked into her funeral service. And there was three people, three of our older ladies, <laughs> not so old anymore, but they were older ladies, who asked me to sit with them. They saw me walk in, and they said, will you come sit with us? And I said, sure, I was looking for somebody to sit with I'd be glad to sit with you. So I sat down with them, and all they asked me to sit. This is not a joke. They asked me to sit in between them. And so I had one older lady on this side and one older lady on this side. And both of those ladies put their arms around me. And this is exactly what they said to me. They said, we know you don't want to be here, but we're thankful that you're here because you're showing the love of Jesus Well, that hit me hard. Hit me really hard because I'm not sure that I had shown the love of Jesus much to anybody when it came to that lady for the last 20 years. But there's no doubt in my mind that what the Lord said in Matthew, the fifth chapter, applied to me. And I'm not sure I did it very well, but I know I'm supposed to do it. And this is the deal that you're supposed to love your enemies. And you're supposed to forgive them. And the reason you're supposed to do that is because pagans don't do any different. You see, if I was talking to the graduating class of Stephen F. Austin and was saying to them, hey, when somebody treats you wrong, you treat them wrong. That's how you're going to do better in business. You know, Or if somebody messes with you, you mess right back with them. You walk over whoever you need to walk over. You do whatever you need to do to climb to the top so you can get to the top of the corporate ladder and do whatever it takes to get there. And most of them would go, That's exactly what we need to do. But the problem is, that's what pagans do. Pagans are non believers. So if we're going to separate ourselves out, we have to be different than non believers. That's what Scripture tells us. That's what Matthew 5, 40 is all about. That's why the Lord said, and this is what you need to catch, it's why the Lord said, be perfect like I am perfect. Because he doesn't want you to be perfect like Bobby's perfect, or like Laura's perfect, or like Greg is perfect, or like David's perfect, or like anybody else. I could just go down name after name, person after person that's sitting here this morning and say, be perfect like them, because all of you would be able to say, well, he's not perfect. And I would say, you're absolutely right. But what our job is, is to be perfect like Christ was perfect. To strive for that kind of perfection. Please don't strive to be like me. I'm a failure. Please don't strive to be like Greg. He's a failure. He's a great failure, but he's a failure. Please don't strive to be like Clint or Leslie or Abby or Anna or anybody else. Strive to be like Christ. Because he's perfect. And then, hopefully, we'll separate ourselves out from what pagans look like. Remember I told you about Terry and Twila a few minutes ago? Terry and Twyla are missionaries in Africa. They were in a little community called Shinyanga. One of the things that Terry was trying to do in this community of Shinyanga was trying to help uh, the farmers there uh, learn to plant correctly and, and raise c- crops correctly. But one of the other things he was trying to do is trying to teach them how to raise cattle and how to raise cattle correctly. Uh, Laura and I had the, uh, the privilege, and I, I've been many times, but Laura has been several times, uh, but to get to go to Shinyanga and get to, to work with Terry and Twala in their, the midst of their um, uh, teaching and, and loving on people in the, in the community of Shinyanga, uh, It wasn't too long after we'd been there one time that we got an email from Terry. Uh, Africa is very different. Uh, you can imagine that culturally. Everything's very different. Uh, they certainly don't have all the modern things that we have and all the things that we do. You, you understand that. And one of the things that most uh, missionaries in, in Tanzania, where Shinyanga uh, is, and in Kenya and some of those uh, developing countries, is uh, when, when the missionaries get there, they'll, they'll employ a, a night watchman, somebody who watches the property while they're asleep at night because they don't have alarms and security systems and, and, and just some crazy stuff can go on. So you can imagine having a night watchman. Almost every missionary that I've ever visited in Africa has somebody who watches the property 24 hours a day. It's kind of a, a, a cultural norm there. So we get an email from Terry and Twyla after we've been back for a few weeks, and Terry says the night watchman slept during his watch, and somebody came and stole 30 head of cattle, all their cattle from them. <laughs> not like we would have done. Not, not like uh, backing up the trailer with the four-wheeler and the four-wheel drive and herding up the cattle, putting them on the trailer, and getting the heck out of Dodge. They literally walked in, opened the gate, and marched them down the road and and stole them, took them into town, and then walked through town, moving that slow with all those cattle, even though they did it in the middle of the night. By the time they had gotten to the outskirts of another town uh, that was not too far away, well, actually it was Shinyanga. Terry and Twila lived out of Shinyanga, but they marched these uh, cattle robbers, marched the cattle through Shinyanga and then out the other side and were taking them to another town where they were going to sell them. Well, in, in the midst of doing that, when Terry woke up and found out all his cattle had been stolen, he jumped in his truck and started trying to track down what had happened, and they started uh, talking to people as they went down the road and found out where the cattle had been marched and that they had been marched through Shinyanga and out the other side and they were in another town. And, and Terry explained to me later, but I didn't know it at the time, but Terry was going as fast as he could to try and catch the cattle, cattle not for the cattle's sake, but for the, the thieves' sake. And the reason he was trying to catch them for the thieves' sake is because when he finally got to the town where the cattle had been stolen, they had captured the man who had stolen them. There was two who had stolen them. One was still with the cattle. Another had gone off to another community but the one that was still with the cattle who had been stolen by the time that Terry had got there everybody in the community knew that that man those weren't his cattle and that they had been stolen and they had stoned him to death now this isn't I'm not telling you a story from 1900 I'm not telling you a story from 1800 I'm telling you a story from 2000 and something where they had captured this man And in Tanzanian law, if you capture somebody who's stolen cattle, they stone you to death. Uh, That's the justice system sometimes. I wish we kind of had that same justice system. But that's the justice system in Tanzania. And that's why Terry was going so fast to try and, and catch up with him. So he found out where the other man had gone, and he drove as fast as he could to the other community. And they had the man ready to be stoned there. And he intervened just in time to save that man's life. And the way he saved that man's life is to stand in front of all the people there and exclaim that he forgave him for doing what he had done. Now that's the scriptural understanding of what I'm talking about that's going on here for you and me, that the power of the Holy Spirit gives you and me not only does the holy spirit gives us the power to forgive but gives us the power through forgiveness and love to change somebody's whole future this man who stole the cattle had his whole future changed because a believer was willing to forgive that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does for you and for me. Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it a struggle? Absolutely. Are there people that you don't want to forgive that I don't want to forgive? Absolutely. Hey, I'm, t- you know, be as honest with you as I can. I'm struggling with, with that situation right now in, in a situation that happened in my life. And I constantly am going back and forth. Do I want to forgive or not want to forgive? Do I I want to love them or not want to love them? And it's a battle. But here's what I'm committed to doing. And here's what I want you to be committed to doing. I'm committed to asking Christ to give me the power that I wouldn't even dream of. And more power than I would even ask for, and not make it my power, but make it his power to change my heart so that I can forgive and I can love and I can move on with my life. Here's the second thing. The second thing is not only does he give us the power to love, but he gives us the power to serve. In Philippians, let me me just read this to you real quick. You you can listen and I'll read. Listen to this. Philippians 2, the third verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here we go again. Not only do you find it in Matthew, but not only you find it in Philippians, but you'll find it in almost every book in the Bible. It's when you're trying to change and you're trying to be different than you are, it should always be Christ is the example. Always. Christ has to be the example. The power the Holy Spirit gives us is, is not for your own good. Remember what I told you in in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, you, you find the gifts of the Spirit. And so many people want to equate that with, this is for me, this is for my good. But if you look at, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, when it lists the gifts of the Spirit, it, the caveat that's given there is the, the word common good. That you are given those gifts for the common good, which means putting it all together. So when you bring your gifts to the table, uh, the gift to love, the gift to forgive, uh, the gift to serve, uh, the gift to to suffer, you're doing that not so you can stand up in in front of everybody and go, look what I did, but you're doing it so that you are bringing common good to the body of Christ. Let's take that and extrapolate that for a second. So Clint is really good at forgiving and all of a sudden Laura's really good at forgiving and Hannah's really good at forgiving and David's really good at forgiving and and Wade's really good at forgiving and and all of a sudden what happens is we're all walking into a congregation where we're a body of believers and we're all going, oh man, we're we're a forgiving people. And what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to forgive. Because you see the good of what happens when we forgive. You see the joy that happens when we forgive. You see the same thing with service. If you choose to serve, then other people want to serve. It's it's crazy. Listen to me when I say this. In the kingdom, power... Listen to me. It's important that you hear me. In the kingdom, power is not measured by prestige... Our position, or wealth. But power is measured by service. So think about this. Who, who do you think is the most powerful person walking in Christian ranks today? Who's the most powerful living person? You know, if we'd have said a few months ago, you might have said Billy Graham. I get that. And now you might say, well, it's Franklin Graham, his son. Or you might say it's Joel Osteen because... 20,000 people go to his church. Or you might say, well, it's Andy Stanley because his dad's name is Charles Stanley, and Charles Stanley is famous, and Andy Stanley's built a big church in Atlanta. If you're a college student, you'd probably say, oh, Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio, he's, man, he is powerful. Or you might say, man, I, I'm just trying to think, I don't even know who this is. I was trying to think who's the richest Christian person in the world, you know, and it's not me, it's not you because if it was, we'd paid off the debt already. But so, uh, but you, uh, you can imagine this. If, if there was somebody who was given millions to the church, especially, and this happens, you know this happens, but there there's some congregations uh, where people give a whole lot to the church, and because they give a whole lot to the church, they think, well, I've got a lot of power because I give to the church, and so... You know, I want the sanctuary named after me or I want it to be built this way or I want this or I want that and, and because they have the money they think they wield the power or because they have the famous name they think they wield the power or they have the prestige they wield the power but scripture is clear over and over again that if you really want to be powerful then serve somebody you know the You know the most power that we display on a regular basis? And I'm talking about us as a congregation, us as a body of believers. And you personally, because a lot of you have done this, but you want to display some power? Let's go put some tennis shoes on some kids' feet in August at Glory Game. And wash their feet and put some new socks and some new tennis shoes and say, Go to school in the name of Jesus with new shoes. In in just a month, or a little bit more than a month, we'll, we'll take 14 people from here to go to Ecuador. And we'll hand out toothpaste and toothbrushes, and we'll do medical exams and dental exams, and we'll hug people that we don't even know. We'll love them and we'll serve them. And we'll come back, and then we'll go back to our normal jobs and our normal work. And nobody will build a statue to us, nobody will name a building after us, nothing famous will ever happen because we did that. But to me, and to what the Lord says in Scripture, those are the people with power. We we'll won't be powerful. Want will be powerful, stand at the door and shake hands when people are coming in. It will be powerful, teach a Sunday school class of second graders. I just got overwhelmed. But you need to know this. In just a second, we're going to baptize. There's a young man named Hayden. He's going to be baptized in just a second. His grandmother Dee, I said, "Dee, I said, Dee do you want Clint or I to baptize him?" She said, "No. <laughs> He'd like Kyle Ivey to baptize him. Kyle's his Sunday school teacher." What a testimony of service. Changing hearts. I watched something the other day. It just overwhelmed me. It made me think about this. It's about a grandmother who was berated in line because she was buying her groceries with food stamps. And the man that was berating her said, how are you ever going to pay back for those food stamps and for that stuff that I'm giving you? And she said, I'll never be able to pay you back. I'm too old. And she said, my life is too far spent. I'll never be able to pay back the government or anybody else who helped me buy these groceries today. But you see this young man with me? He'll pay you back one day because his life will be different than my life was. That man that made that statement was talking about his grandmother he's 66 years old right now he, he's done all kinds of things in his life and I dare say he's paid back the food stamps but here's the deal Kyle serves and Hayden may change the world one day we don't know but our job is to serve that's the power the Holy Spirit gets you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I came unglued today, didn't I? Let me read this to you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll baptize. That'll be amazing. This is Henry Blackaby. He's one of my favorite authors. Listen to what he said. Will God ever ask you to be able to do something that you're not able to do? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. All the time. It's got to be that way because it's for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our own ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. Listen to me. If if you want to change the world, like I do, if you want to change the kingdom, like I do, one of the things you've got to do is reach for more than you would even ask or more than you would even imagine. And the reason is because when that happens, then God gets the glory because it's out of your power. Listen to me. Kyle is not looking for glory today. Kyle didn't know it was happening. It was way more than he even asked or imagined. My joy last Sunday when the service was over was to get to go to Kyle and say, hey, Kyle, what are you doing next Sunday? He said, I don't know why. And I said, because the little boy wants you to baptize him. Well, Kyle just broke down. You know why he broke down? It was because it was more than he'd even asked or imagined. He didn't ask to baptize him. That's why. Let's pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would envelop us so that we can change things for the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just amazed at your power and your presence. And God, we come to you right now just incredibly in awe of your goodness and your glory in our lives. God, we ask that you would stretch us, that you would move us, and that you would mold us to be more like you. We don't want to be like any human, Father. We want to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. In just a few moments, Ryan's going to lead us again as we worship. May I encourage you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the only power that he can give, that if the Lord's been speaking to you this morning about possibly loving somebody more or forgiving somebody or possibly serving somebody or some way, then that this morning the invitation is directed towards you. Maybe you just need to come down to the altar and spend some time on your knees before God praying. Or maybe you just need to talk to Him right where you are. That's perfectly fine. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you want to place your life in the family of Holly Springs. We would love to have you as a part of our family. Maybe you're wanting to know what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I would love to share with you what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Whatever decision you need to make, I pray that God will give you the power through the Holy Spirit to make that decision as we stand together and as we sing with rain.